So is it possible for God to be personal? Based on your experience, how would you answer that question? What would you say? And, and don't give the answer you know you should give because you're in church. We're honest around here, okay? So just in your mind, be, go ahead and be honest with yourself. If, if somebody was talking to you about this, if you were just spending some time pondering this, based on your experiences in life, based on what you've encountered, based on your interactions with God or with faith or with church, how would you answer this? Do you really think it's possible for God to be personal? Some of you would say absolutely yes, and you would talk about how close and personal your relationship is with your Heavenly Father, and you would talk about the things He's done in your life and the fact that you feel like you can always lean into Him and trust Him and how He's shown up at different points, and you would talk about you know, how you talk to God and how God's spoken and guided you at different points. You, you, you're absolutely convinced of that. Others of you are probably on the complete opposite end of the spectrum, and you would say, absolutely not. You don't buy it because you're not even sure there is a God, but if there is a God, there's no way He's personal. I mean, you would make the case, look around at what's going on in our world, look around at what's going on. You might talk about things in your life and the lives of people you love, and you would say, how could a God be personal and still let all this happen? So from your point of view, you would say, no way is God personal. And if I were in your seat and in your shoes and experience what you would experience, you know, I'd probably feel the same way that you did. But in my experience, here's what I've seen. There are a lot of us, there are a lot of us who fall somewhere in the middle. There are a lot of us who I think if we were honest, we would say, well, I want to believe, but I want to believe God's personal. I want to believe that he's actively involved. I want to believe that he loves me and cares about me to that extent. I want to believe I can have a relationship with him that is personal like that, but, and we would talk about, you know, but he's an invisible God, and I've never really figured out how, how that works, and that doesn't seem to make sense, or, you know, I prayed, and these prayers didn't get answered, I, you know, I went through this experience, and it seemed like God wasn't there, and he wasn't with me, and I was told this, but then this didn't happen, I think a lot of us would fall right in the middle, going, well, I want to believe that's true, I want to believe that's true, and I had a few things that made me think it was true, but... And we would talk about our doubts. We would talk about our concerns. We would talk about the experiences maybe that we're currently having where God just feels distant. He doesn't feel personal at all. So for the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about this question from an angle or from a direction that maybe is a little bit different. But before we dive into it, I want to switch gears for just a second. And I want you to think about something else. How's a relationship between two human beings become personal? How does that work? Because you've got some friendships, you've got some relationships that are very personal to you. Whether, you know, it's somebody you date, somebody you marry, somebody who's just a friend. You, you've got some of those relationships you would say, yeah, that's, that's really personal. That, that friendship goes deep. That relationship means the world to me. So how do two human beings reach a point where their relationship becomes that personal? Where they'll share anything with one another, they'll trust one another completely. You know, they just open up their lives to each other. Well... I'll tell you a big part of that. Here's how it happens. Time together makes the relationship better. This is how it works between human beings. Sometimes, sometimes. It's not always true, is it? As a matter of fact, there are certain relationships where the more time you spend with the person, it makes the relationship worse, not better. This is true for anyone you dated but have not married. Actually, for some of you, this is true for somebody you married and then unmarried. It was like the more time you're with them, this is not getting better, this is getting worse. I mean, this is true for all of us, isn't it? We've all been in certain relationships or certain, you know, friendships or certain interactions with people where the more time we spent with them, the worse it got, the worse it got, the worse it got. And yet there are others, the more time you spend with somebody, the better it gets, the better it gets, the better it gets. What is the difference in those relationships? Well, I would say the difference is it takes more than just time. The relationships that become personal for you, the relationships where they just go deep and they seem so strong, isn't it true all of those relationships were based on some things in common. You had some common values, you had some shared passions, you had some shared goals, and you may not have thought of it this way, but 
I guarantee you in any relationship that's personal to you, there are some decisions that you have both made that have allowed the relationship to become that personal. You have both decided that you're going to build a relationship on mutual trust. In other words, you're, you're going to build it on trust and not suspicion. That you're, Whenever there's a gap, whenever you're not sure, whenever you're wondering why would they do that, you have decided with that person, I'm going to believe the best, I'm not going to assume the worst. That's part of what makes it personal for you. You have decided that you're going to, again, probably not formally, but you have learned how to practice mutual submission with one another. You have decided, in this relationship, it's we before me. In this relationship, I'm going to focus on them before I focus on myself. It's their interests and needs before my own. It's part of the reason the relationship is so good, because you both have done that for one another. Same thing's true when it comes to a sense of mutual passion and investment, which just means this. You, you both decided in your own way, I'm going to try to give more to this relationship than I get. I don't want to be the one who's always taking. I want to be the one who's giving. And yeah, I'm going to end up taking some, but I want to give more than I take. And when you have two human beings who come into a relationship and they demonstrate and practice those qualities and they manage those kinds of behaviors and decisions, you can't help but for the relationship to become really, really personal. Now, here's the question I have for you. Why does it work that way for human beings? Because this is interesting to me. You can go anywhere in the world, talk to any group of people from any culture, and you know what? Relationships work the same. Those things we just talked about and a few other things are why relationships become personal. It doesn't matter where you go on the planet. Why is it that way? Why is this something that's true for all people in all places and all times? Well, I would suggest to you the reason it's true is because that's how God wired us as human beings to operate. It's how God wired us as human beings to relate to one another. And I think, and you might disagree with this, but I think the reason God wired us that way is to give us a glimpse of what it looks like to relate to and to have a personal relationship with our Father in heaven. How, how in the world do you have a personal relationship with a God who's invisible? Well, God said, let, let me let you see what it looks like among human beings, and it'll give you a glimpse of what it looks like to have a personal relationship with me. Now, throughout the centuries in the Christian faith, if you want to call it that, but throughout the centuries as people have followed Jesus and practiced what we now call Christianity, there has been a core practice at the heart of it that has been one of, it's not the only, but it has been one of the key practices that have helped people experience a relationship with God in a way that they claimed was very personal and very deep and very meaningful. And yet it's a practice that is so confusing and at times is really, really frustrating for all of us. It's this idea of prayer. It's this idea of prayer. Now what's interesting is I have never talked to anyone who looked at me and we started talking about prayer and they said, you know what, I think I'm awesome at prayer. Like I think I've got that one figured out. Maybe that's you. If so, don't come tell me. I'll just feel bad about myself. Because this one is confusing for pretty much everybody, right? It's like, well, what is prayer, and does it even work, and how does it work? And, you know, I'm praying, but nothing's happening, and I've, well, how often should you? And it just feels like a duty. I mean, we, we all grew up being told different things about prayer, and it was confusing, and it was frustrating for all of us. But I'm telling you, when you understand, when you understand what it looks like to pray the way God intended for us to pray, which is really just how to have a conversation with God and relate to God the way he intended for us to, your relationship with him becomes so, so personal. And so, for the next couple weeks, I want to talk to you about how to pray. That sounds really insulting, doesn't it? You're like, I know how to pray, Matt. Okay, 
I'm not talking about the way you saw prayers being done in church or the way you assume prayer ought to be done or the way somebody told you how to pray. Like that's, that's all fine. I'm not being critical of that. But there is a different way to pray than most of us have ever experienced. There's a way to pray where it actually leads you to have a relationship with God that is intensely personal and where you begin to trust God for things you've never trusted Him for before and you see Him actively at work in your life in ways that you've never seen before and you experience some things that you stop and you go, oh, only God could have done that. In other words, there's a way to pray boldly that leads your relationship with God to become incredibly, incredibly, incredibly personal. Matter of fact, I would go so far as to say this, and again, I'm not trying to insult you, but if... If the way you're praying right now is not leading to God becoming more personal to you, then you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. And it's not your fault. You haven't been taught to do it any differently. So that's why over the next couple weeks, we're going to talk about how to pray and relate to God in a way that makes him personal. Where we say, you know what, I want to believe, and instead of saying, but this has been my experience, we go, I want to believe, and let me tell you my story. I want to believe, and let me tell you what God's done. I want to believe... And I can tell you it's true because there's a way to pray where you have that kind of confidence. And the best place to look to figure out how to do that is not surprisingly Jesus. Jesus taught his disciples, and by virtue, and you know, over the centuries, all of us, Jesus taught us a prayer that's become very, very famous. It's known as the Lord's Prayer. We've all heard it, whether you're a Christian church person or not. You've heard it in some setting. If you grew up Catholic, you have, if you had a dollar for every time you'd recite the Lord's Prayer, you would be really rich, wouldn't you? You've, you've said this a whole lot. In some other faith traditions, you say it a whole lot. Or if you're a football player, you've said it a whole lot. A lot of football teams do it in the locker room beforehand. I don't know that it helps, but more power to you. So, you know, people have recited this over the centuries because, because here's the misunderstanding. We just assumed, oh, Jesus said, here's what we should pray. So there's some magic, you know, magic power. Or these are some magical words. If I just recite this enough, then it's going to unlock something happening and God's going to do what I want God to do. And so we just recite this thing, recite this thing, recite this thing. Jesus never gave us this prayer to recite. As you're going to see here in a minute, he did something very, very different. Jesus was actually just trying to give us a model to follow. So here's what I want to do. I want to give you the context behind why he taught this prayer. He actually explained this prayer to, two, to a couple of different groups of people at different points in his life. This is one of them. I'll give you the context behind it, and then we're going to unpack what this means and what this might look like for us. So let's just jump right in. Luke chapter 11, Luke tells us, One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. So he kind of gotten away from the crowd, and you know, he's, he's over there praying, talking to God, maybe praying out loud because his disciples are just a little way away and they're watching. They can probably hear what he's praying. And it gets their attention. Now, these disciples, these 12 guys, they're good Jewish boys. They grew up in the Jewish customs. They'd been taught all the Jewish prayers to recite, okay? So they knew how to go to the tabernacle or the temple or their synagogue or wherever it was and kind of do the deal. But they're watching Jesus praying and it catches their attention. So when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. Basically, they're watching Jesus and they're hearing what he's saying and they go, wait a minute, we're good Jewish boys and we're really religious and we have prayed a lot in our life, but we've never prayed like that. I think we're doing it wrong. We don't know how to do it right, though. We can't believe he's talking to God the way he's talking to God and he's just so bold in what he's saying and he just seems so personal. It's not the way it is for us. 
So they have this debate among themselves, like, okay, we gotta, we got to figure out how to pray like that. Well, who's going to ask, you know? Who's gonna... So finally one of them says, fine, I'll look like the idiot and I'll ask. So he comes back and he says, okay, I know we know how to pray, but we don't know how to pray like that. Can you teach us to pray the way you pray? And it was because of that request that Jesus says this. He said to them, when you pray, say, you ready, guys? Here it is. Take notes. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. The end? The end. Well, there's not even an amen there. Is that a real prayer if you don't say amen at the end? I don't know. You know, if you grew up in church or you grew up around this, you're, you're reading this going, okay, this is really embarrassing. I don't mean to point this out, Jesus, but you misquoted your own prayer. You left some stuff out. Like, that was short, and I'm all for short prayers, but you shortened it even more, you know? There's some stuff missing in there. To which Jesus would say, I know, because the point is not the words. The point is not reciting this prayer. There's nothing magical about that. What I'm trying to do, Jesus is saying, is communicate to you a way to communicate with your Heavenly Father so that He becomes personal to you. So let's walk back through this for just a second and see if we can uncover what Jesus was driving at and trying to teach His disciples that day and all of us about how to pray so God's personal. Here's where He starts. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, Father. you got to pause here because this is so, so important. What comes first frames everything else. You know this is true. Whatever comes first shapes your perspective and becomes the filter through which you interpret everything else that happens. So Jesus says, listen, if you're going to pray the kind of bold prayers that make God personal in your life, you've got to start by understanding who God is you got to start by understanding that bold prayers are relational. This is not about a routine. This is not transactional. Bold prayers are relational. And bold prayers are built on this foundation or this understanding of, well, I trust in you. Here's why I'm coming to talk to you, because I trust in you. Again, here's why this is so important. How you view God determines how you communicate with God. Let me say that again. How you view God determines how you communicate with Him. If you believe God and if you view God to be a judge, and he's up there in the sky and he's watching everything that's happening and he's just waiting to catch you doing something wrong and then he's going to you know, send the consequences your way. If you view God as a boss, well, he's just up there telling me what to do and I, you know, I got to do what he says and when I don't want to do it, I try to figure out how not to do it where he doesn't catch me not doing it. If you view God as some you know, powerful deity, and, but he's removed like, God doesn't really care about us. He's distant. He's removed. He just kind of got all this started. But he doesn't care about what's going on in my world. If you view God that way, then you're going to talk to God and approach God very differently. You're going to be intimidated. And you're going to approach God cautiously. And you're going to approach God with fear. And you're going to keep walls up and arms extended in how you talk to God. This is why for so, so many people, when they pray... They just say the same things over and over. It's just kind of like, check that off the list. I'm going to go through the routine. I've got to pray before I eat, or I've got to pray before I go to sleep, or, you know, I've got a need and I'm going to pray. I'm just going to kind of check that off the list. Okay, I prayed. Because we think prayer is, okay, there's these magical words, and i just got to say it, and God doesn't really care, but if I say it enough times, and I show up to church enough times, and kind of, you know, figure out the cheat code, then maybe he'll do what I want him to do. Jesus says, nope, you've got to stop right there. God will never be personal to you until you understand how he views you and until you view him the right way. He is your heavenly father. 
And when he looks down at you, he sees a son or a daughter. He is your perfect heavenly father, which means, and this is, if you grew up with a good dad, this is easy for you to understand. If you didn't grow up with a father present in your life or you had a father, but it was a difficult situation or a strained relationship, this is much harder for you to understand. I get that. But what he's saying is this, you've got to understand you have a perfect heavenly father who loves you and accepts you for who you are and not what you do. And that has to be the foundation for how you relate to him. You want to come and talk to God? Do not come and talk to him like a judge. He's not your judge. Do not come and talk to him like a boss. He's not your boss. You come and talk to him as your heavenly father. That is who he is. And he doesn't love you any differently based on what you do or don't do. He loves you for who you are, not what you do, which just means it doesn't matter what you've done in your past, what you're doing right now, or what you're going to do in your future. It does not change the depth of God's love and acceptance for you. It is unconditional. And if you understand that, then this becomes true for you, that you can trust him. Until you understand that, you will never feel like you can fully trust your heavenly father. You just won't. Because it won't be a safe place and it won't be a safe relationship to trust. But the minute you get who he is and how he views you, and the minute you start viewing him accurately, the minute you realize he invites me to call him father, it changes everything. See, in the first century, for these Jewish young men, they're hearing Jesus say this, and this is, this is mind-blowing and earth-shattering for them. Because the Hebrew people for centuries had referred to God as Yahweh. That was their title for God. As a matter of fact, they thought it was so reverent and sacred, they wouldn't even write the full word out on any document. They thought God was arm's length, don't get it you know, too close, you're going to end up getting burned. He's, he's not you know, on your side, he's out to get you if you're not doing the right thing. And so they were so reverent, so reverent, so careful. Jesus says, no, 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 he's not inviting you to call him Yahweh. No, 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 you don't do that. He just says, call him father. He just says, call him dad. He wants you to lean in and trust him because that's how he feels about you. Now, until you understand that, like I said, until you grasp the safe nature of that unconditional love and acceptance, you'll never be able to trust him, which means he'll never be personal because all healthy relationships are built on trust. So Jesus says, you want to learn how to pray? I'm going to tell you how to pray. You got to start by viewing God the right way. You got to start with trust. You got to start with Father. And then he continues. He says, Father, hallowed be your name. You don't want to know what to pray? Here's the next thing I'll pray. Hallowed or honored be your name. Your kingdom come. And the other place where Jesus taught this, we all know this version. He left some things out here. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So Jesus says, okay, once you understand who you are in relation to God and who he is in relation to you, Okay, now the next step for you is to realize that not only are bold prayers relational, but bold prayers are directional. And all I mean by that is this. Jesus wants us to understand that part of the foundation of God being personal is you get to the point where you say, oh, I surrender to you. I surrender to you. Now, this is so hard to do. It's so hard to do because all of us are the same in this. All of us wake up every morning pursuing our kingdom. All of us wake up every morning interpreting everything that's going on in our lives through the lens of what's in it for me, What's in it for me? What's in it for me? But when Jesus showed up on the earth, he said, you know what? Your heavenly father has a kingdom as well, if you will. But it is not a self-centered kingdom. You're living in your own self-centered kingdom. No, but he, he has a, an other-centered kingdom. And he invites you into his kingdom where you wake up every day not going, what's in it for me, but going, what's in it for them? 
Not going, well, what's best for me, but going, what's best for them? He invites you to live a life where you put the needs and interests of others before your own. And when you get into this other-centered kingdom, that's when life begins to make sense to you. But this is so hard because it's not natural. And you'll never do it unless you get the first piece right. No one surrenders and tru- unless they trust. No one surrenders unless they're willing to go, you know what, my Heavenly Father loves me so much I can trust Him. Because to spend your life living for others before yourself doesn't make a lot of sense. You will never believe that the best path for your life is to focus on others before you. Unless you trust your Heavenly Father enough to believe He has your best interest in mind. And if you believe He wants what's best for you, then you'll put others before you. Until you believe He wants what's best for you, that He can be trusted, you'll never do this. But here's what's interesting. The minute you choose to surrender... The minute you choose to say, okay, I'm not perfect at this, but I'm waking up today and I'm going to go through my day and I'm going to do what I do, but I'm going to do it pursuing your other-centered kingdom, God. I'm going to do it trying to figure out how to serve other people before me. The minute you make that decision, you know what happens? Your relationship with God goes to a more personal level because you have just moved towards Him and you can't move towards someone without it becoming more personal with them. So Jesus says, you got to start by understanding he's Father. Then, you got to get your heart to the place where you're willing to honor him by wanting his kingdom to come and his will to be done on this earth more than yours. And after you're there, once you've got your heart in that place, he says, here's what you ought to do next. You ought to pray, give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Now, this sounds a little more like the prayers we pray in the sense of, okay, now we're finally getting to the stuff I want. Like, I need this, and I need this, and God help with that, and God, that person's not doing what I want to do, and God, this relationship, and God, my kids, and God, my parents, and you know. So we, we start making all these requests for things that'll make our life better. God says, okay, it's fine to ask for things for yourself, but you got to get your heart in the right place first. You got to get the relational piece right and the directional piece right. And once you realize that, you're, that praying bold means it's relational and directional, now you can understand that bold prayers are confessional. Not confessional just in the sense of, oh, I'm telling God my sins, which, by the way, he already knows them, so that doesn't really matter. Confessional in the sense of you get to the point where you realize I depend on you. I'm okay with that, God. I'll depend on you today. This is really hard because we're all independent. None of us want to depend on anybody. I depend on you means I'm having to trust you even more. I'm not sure I want to do that. I depend on you means that I'm not trying to orchestrate and manipulate all the outcomes for myself. I don't want to do that. I I depend on you means I'm not trying to control everything. Well, that's not natural at all. That requires a lot of trust. I'm not sure I'm willing to trust and surrender that much. Jesus says, I know. That's why you got to start by understanding he's your heavenly father and then You've got to get your heart to the point where you're willing to at least try to pursue his kingdom above your own. Once you get there, then you can de- begin to depend. Well, what am I dependent on God for? Well, Jesus said, first of all, you, you can depend on your heavenly father. He invites you to depend on him for provision. In other words, to provide all the material things you need. Wh- whatever those things are in your life. For them in the first century, it was literally daily bread. We, we need food today. 
Jesus says, whatever those material needs are for you, you can, you can trust him. You can depend on him. You can do what he asks you to do with what he's given you and not worry about taking care of you. If you do things the way he asks you to do them with the things he's placed in your hand, he'll, he'll provide whatever you need materially. Not only that, but he said, you can depend on your heavenly father for forgiveness because you're not always going to get it right. You're not always going to trust. You're not always going to pursue an other-centered kingdom. You're going to be selfish and self-centered at times. You're going to make choices that hurt other people in order to benefit yourself. But don't worry. He's not a judge in the sky. He's not a boss waiting to come down hard on you. He's your perfect heavenly father. And he loves you unconditionally. So don't worry. Whenever you need forgiveness, he's going to provide forgiveness for you. You don't have to doubt it. You don't have to question it. Now, sometimes he's going to let you, like any good dad does, he's going to let you feel the consequences of your decisions, but it's not to get you back. It's to help you learn. It's to help you grow. Sometimes he's going to let you have to navigate your way through some of that. It's not because he doesn't love you. It's because he does love you. And the most loving thing to do is to let you feel those consequences or to let you have to deal with the, the fallout from that failure in order to grow and become better. But his love for you never changes. And Jesus said, by the way, because you're experiencing that kind of extraordinary forgiveness, you also can depend on your Heavenly Father to offer that to the people in your life. That is so difficult, isn't it? Some of you are there right now. You have people in your life who have hurt you in a way that you have written it off and you have said, no way, I'm never forgiving them. Because to forgive for you feels like I'm letting them off the hook. To forgive for you feels like, well, I would just go back and got to trust them again. I'm not going to trust them again. No, Jesus said, that's not what it means. That's not what forgiveness does at all. It doesn't let them off the hook. It doesn't mean you have to trust them again. Jesus says, no, you, you need to lean in to depend on your heavenly father to have the strength and the ability to extend the same forgiveness to somebody else that you've experienced because that's what frees you. That's what frees your heart of bitterness and resentment. That's what's in your best interest, and your heavenly father just wants what's in your best interest. It may not impact the other person at all for you to say, you know what, I forgive you. But it changes you. It frees you. So he says, you can depend. This is so, so huge. You can depend on your Heavenly Father to forgive you. But in those moments where it's so hard to forgive somebody else, you can find the strength from him to forgive somebody else because you have been forgiven as well. And that's what forgiven people do. Forgiven people forgive. And then Jesus said in this prayer, okay, and, and lead us not into temptation, which just means this. He said, I know every single day you're going to run to situations where you're tempted to live life your way instead of God's, where you're tempted to pursue your kingdom instead of his. But your heavenly father wants to be so involved in your life and in your day that you're not going through your Monday and your Tuesday and your Wednesday and your Thursday on your own just trying to figure it out and do the right thing as best you can and then come back and report in to dad. He says, no. If you will invite your Heavenly Father to be involved with you, He'll be a part of your Monday and your Tuesday and your Wednesday. And He'll point out temptations that you may not see. And He'll protect you from traps that you may not be aware of. And He'll help you avoid choices that you're later going to regret. That's how much He cares about you. That's how involved He wants to be with you. But it starts by understanding, okay, I'm going to pray from the standpoint of I can trust you completely. 
And I'm willing to surrender to you and pursue your kingdom above my own. And I'm willing to live my life depending on you and not trying to make it all happen myself. When you begin to pray that way, there is, there is no other solution, there's no other outcome you'll experience but to lean in, and the minute you lean in, God begins to become personal to you. So, here's my question for you. What are you praying for that's bold? What are you praying for that's big? Like, what are you praying for that you go, there is no way I can do this on my own? And if God doesn't help me, it's not going to happen. What are you depending on God for that if he doesn't come through, you're not going to be able to orchestrate it and figure it out yourself? What are you praying for that, that causes you every single day to just naturally lean in and go, okay, I need you, I need you, I need you? What are you praying for like that? Imagine that there was some way that we could all take all the prayers that we prayed over the last year and we could pile them all up on this stage. What would they look like? I'm telling you, again, this is not an insult because it's me as well as you. You know what, you know what they would probably look like. It'd be a huge pile of small prayers, wouldn't it? It'd be a huge pile of prayers, in most cases, that, let's be honest, whether God intervened or not, they were probably, it's probably going to take care of itself. We Christians are great at praying these kinds of prayers. We, we pray and ask God to do stuff that really doesn't matter if he shows up or not. It'll work itself out in the end. And then when it works itself out, we go, oh my gosh, Susie got over the cold. It was a miracle. Meanwhile, people who aren't Christians are going, are you nuts? Everybody gets over their cold, you know? It didn't take God. I mean, we, we have a tendency to pray some really small prayers. We have a tendency to pray a lot of, well, God, would you, would you give me and bless me and be with me and protect me and help me prayers? I mean, that sums up most of our prayers. They're just so self-centered. Everything's about me. God bless me, be with me, help me, protect me, give, give, give. We just pray those prayers whenever we need God and whenever we need something or, you know, we feel guilty and need to go through the motions. For most of us, if we could somehow pull them all together, I bet there aren't very many prayers we've been praying where we've been going, oh my goodness, there is no way this can happen apart from God. I need him so desperately in this situation. It just forces me to lean in and to trust him, to surrender to him. To depend on him. That's why I said, if, you're, if the way you're praying isn't causing God to be more personal to you, you're probably doing it wrong, but you've just never been taught differently. So over the next couple weeks, I just want to teach you a different way to approach this. I want to encourage you to give it a try, to pray some really, really big, bold prayers. You know why we don't pray many bold prayers? Let me just connect these dots real quick. If you're not praying bold prayers that force you to trust and surrender and depend, it's probably because you're not taking any steps of faith. Because whenever God taps on your heart and asks you to do something, it will always be something bigger than you can do on your own. It will always cause you to trust Him, to depend on Him, to surrender to Him. You know why? Because God's not really interested in the outcome of that step. God just wants you to experience Him personally at work. So if you don't pray any bold prayers, it's probably because you're not taking any steps of faith. God's been tapping on your heart to forgive that person, and you've been going, no way, not going to do it. Well, you don't need God if you're certain you're not going to do it. But the minute you realize, wait a minute, I think I should extend forgiveness to them, and there is no way I can do that on my own. But I'm going to obey God. I'm going to trust him. If he wants me to do it, I'm going to try to do it. Well, all of a sudden, you're leaning in going, God, I need your help. I need your help. I need your help. And he becomes personal to you. 
the minute you got to have a tough conversation with somebody and you're kind of leaning back, God's tapping on your heart going, nope, you got to have it. Suddenly, if you decide to do that, now you're taking a step of faith and you need his help and you know you need his help or you'll just butcher the whole conversation. When God taps on your heart and says, hey, that person in your life, I put them there because they really need to know how much I love them. They really need to know they can be forgiven. I want you to talk to them about what you've experienced me do in your life. And you're going, no way, I can't do that. I'm not qualified. And people like Matt, aren't they supposed to do that? That's what we pay Matt for. No, it's not what you pay Matt for. You, you got to take that step and figure out how to do that. But if you say no, there's no need to pray a big prayer. There's no need to trust God. But the minute you say, okay, I'm going to try, now you're praying like crazy. God, help me figure this out. I don't want to mess this up. And show me what I need to say and give me a chance. And all of a sudden it is, you're looking for God at work everywhere. You're seeing him helping you in a lot of ways. When God taps on your heart and says, hey, the way you're managing your money, it's wrecking you. The way you're managing your money is just creating so much greed in your heart. The way you're managing your money, you're living paycheck to paycheck. There's so much stress. There's no peace. You have no self-control. Would you just manage your money the way I ask you to manage the things I give you? Would you make it a priority to give first and then save second and then live on the rest? And you're looking at it going, I cannot afford to do that. There's no way I'm going to give first. I can't give first. I can't take care of what I got now. And there's no way I can save second and put some back. And you're thinking, how do I do this? Again, if you say no, then you don't need any faith, which means you don't need to trust, surrender, or depend on God. But the minute you say yes, the minute you say, I don't know how this is going to work, but I'm going to trust God. And I'm going to give even though I don't feel like I can afford to give. And I'm going to save even though I don't feel like I can afford to save. And then I'm going to figure out how to have enough self-discipline to live on the rest. So, God, I don't know how this is all going to add up. I need you to provide for me and help me, but I'm going to stop being irresponsible. I'm going to start doing it your way. The minute you do that, oh, my goodness, you have leaned in. And you'll pray in an entirely different way. And you'll see God at work in your life in an entirely different way, if you will. I'm telling you, this is why we don't pray bold prayers, because we don't take any steps of faith. We don't follow God. When he taps on our heart, we just say no, and then we don't really need him. We can just come to church and go through the routines and do the deal and pray the routine prayers, you know, and kind of check everything off our box. But the minute you start following, you're going to need faith. The minute you start following, you're going to have to trust. The minute you start following, you're going to lean in, and God's going to become personal to you. And it will change the way you talk to God and you communicate with God dramatically. Some of you are going... Well, Matt, I prayed those kinds of bold prayers. I'm praying them right now, and God's not doing anything. He's not answering my prayers. So like I'm praying and praying and praying, and nothing seems to be happening. So what do I do with that? I'm telling you, in those moments, in those moments, there is a reason why God waits to answer some prayers. There's a reason why God doesn't answer some prayers. And when you understand the reason why and you understand what God's doing and why God's doing it, it actually causes you to lean in even more, and it causes him to become even more personal to you. And I'll tell you what that reason is. I'll tell you what that explanation is next week. You got to come back next week. We'll tackle that because that's a frustration for a lot of us. Here's all I want to do today. I want to give you some homework. I want to encourage you to try something, and I would love for you to try it throughout the course of this series for the next 21 days. But if that's too much for you, that's fine. Just try it tomorrow or try it for the next seven days. Would you just pray every day this very simple prayer? Father, I trust in you, I surrender to you, and I depend on you. Now, I'm not saying just recite the words and somehow going to make things better. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, would you just use this as a framework for how you begin to communicate to God and just be really honest? 
Say, God, I'm not sure I trust in you. Matter of fact, I'm not sure what it means to relate to you like Father. But I'd like to understand that. And I'm open to considering that. And I think maybe if, if it's true that you are who you say you are and you feel about me the way you feel about me, then I, I would like to get to the point where I could trust you. And you just talk to God about that. And I'm, I'm not sure I want to pursue your other-centered kingdom. I'd really like to pursue my own today. But I'll tell you what. I'm willing to try it if you'll just help me figure out how to put others before myself today. And I, I have a hard time depending on you, God, because I don't want to depend on anybody except me. That's what I've learned in my life. So I want to be in control of everything. But I tell you what, I'm going I'm to depend on you with just this little bit. And I'm going to see what you do. I don't know what this looks like for you, but just use this as a way to have a really honest conversation with God every day. It doesn't have to be long. But just open your heart up to the possibility that maybe, just maybe, God wants to be personal to you and he'll show up in the middle of this. Trust. Surrender. Depend. That's how you lean in and begin to experience God personal to you. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for um, inviting us to call you Father. Thank you for inviting us into um, a relationship with you that's not based on your power or your position, but it's just based on the fact that you love us and accept us unconditionally, and you want us to be your sons and daughters. That does change the way we communicate with you. It changes our ability to trust you. So for those of us who are struggling with that, help, help us to learn and to see and experience how much you love us so we can trust you more. Help us to reach a point where we're willing to let go of our plans and our kingdom and surrender to you and to begin to depend on you. For those of us who've been praying some really small, selfish prayers, it's just all revolved around us. It's been stuff that, for the most part, had happened whether you got involved or not. God, would you just help us to, um, to not be satisfied with that? because we miss out on the relationship. So wherever you're tapping on hearts and whatever steps of faith we've been ignoring, help us to have the courage to take those, because the minute we do, it'll change the way we talk with you. It'll change our posture towards you. It'll change the way we pray. We'll pray some big, bold prayers, because we'll need you. But in the midst of that, while we're so focused on seeing the outcome, what you really care about is the relationship that'll get built there. Because all healthy relationships are built on trust. And you care about us way more than you care about us doing whatever you want us to do. So help us not to miss that in the midst of following you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen.